Warning, Star Trek from the holodeck contains adult language and discussions. If you're easily offended, do not continue to listen. Walk it alone! Fire! Holodeck 3 program is reinstated. Open sesame! Commander Klingon vessel. We are energizing transport of him. Now. Hello, welcome to From the Holodeck, Rayman Digital's exclusive Star Trek fan, Star Trek fan show. I am Michael, the captain and host, and here on the bridge with me to assist me in our discussion today is David. Hello. I am Ensign David, and I pilot this ship. Okay. (laughs) Do you remember how to? Is there any radiation preventing you from remembering? That I don't know. I just know about the holodecks. And it sounded like you were taking a shit over there. Is that what you do when you're... <laughs> I have an idea. Too much stress. Too much, Too much stress. stress. I shit myself when I'm stressed. I'd be the worst ensign ever. You, you, re- you belong on Lower Decks. That's, I belong in Lower Decks, That's yeah. where you belong. I would love it on Lower Decks. Are you kidding me? I know you would. All right. So if you're new to our show, I, I'm sorry. But you can find our show wherever you listen to podcasts. Just search from the holodeck. Our preferred podcast providers are iTunes and Spotify. So please leave us a review and give us a thumbs up on Apple Podcasts. So in today's episode, we are, of course, continuing our season two coverage on Strange New Worlds with a discussion on episode four of season two, Among the Lotus Eaters. I love when titles are used to help with some of the meaning behind an episode. That's something Discovery did during its first season with those, uh, the first season's showrunners. They made some really cool titles. After that, the titles, sometimes they meant stuff, but they were more obvious. I like when they're not super obvious. They're more subtle. So the Lotus Eaters was actually derived, this title was derived from Greek myth. And I believe most are possibly familiar with the story of the Lotus Eaters, but just in case, the Lotus Eaters were a race of people living on an island dominated by the lotus tree, a plant whose botanical identity is uncertain. The lotus fruits and the flowers were the primary food of the island and were a narcotic, causing the inhabitants to sleep in peaceful apathy. Yep. After they ate the lotus, they would forget their home and loved ones and only long to stay with their fellow lotus eaters. Those who ate the plant never cared to report nor return. Figuratively, lotus eaters denotes a person who spends their time indulging in pleasure and luxury rather than dealing with practical concerns. Yes. This episode was working from all types of different angles. There was the Greek myth inspiration. There were aspects of philosophy mm-hmm. once again utilized and i'm going to say this right now dave if strange new worlds the writers behind strange new worlds continue to utilize the amount of philosophy they're using for this season then this show might end up becoming one of my favorite star trek shows 
I honestly, honestly think we're gearing up for that because this is something that we've had a little bit in season one, but more so in season two, where we, it truly feels like a classic Star Trek series where every single episode has to deal. I don't want to say a moral dilemma, but a philosophical dilemma where it's, it's showing a different point of view for two different ideologies. And it's not seeing, not saying either one's right, either one's wrong. It's showing the point of views. The original series used philosophy all the time. TNG used philosophy all the time. Then as the new iterations of Trek started rolling out, Yes, philosophy was always at the core of the myth arc and numerous episodes, but it wasn't utilized as much. Now, Star Trek, just as what it is, as an IP, is a philosophical science fiction franchise, so they never veer too far away from the philosophy. But Strange New Worlds is definitely doing it right. This episode was very interesting because of what it was doing in that regard, in its intent. And at the surface level, it may seem simply referential as far as meaning goes, but at an explicit level, there's greater room for interpretation. There's that notion of living in the moment and not overly thinking your situation to neglect the past and live in peace in the present, which is a tempting way to live. But if you dig deeper into the narrative, we can find a symptomatic meaning. When it comes to this episode, that takes all of this and brings greater context to the viewer and overtly had to do a lot with trauma or PTSD that Mbanga suffers from. But more importantly, it says a lot about Captain Pike and the limited time he has left to live. And we're going to spend more time on this thought because the Captain Pike aspect goes directly with the philosophical points that we're going to hit on that makes up the symptomatic meaning of this episode. So David, what were the highlights of this episode for you? Keep it brief and don't go into the major points that we're going to be discussing. I'll just hit the points that basically had me giddy as like a Star Trek fan. Going back to Rigel 7, I love the fact that the <laughs> Rigel 7 for this particular crew is an important planet. For those that don't know, Rigel 7 is actually visited by Pike's crew multiple times in their history. I mean, like, I think the menagerie and the canon, men it's just the cage. Yeah. And of course, menagerie by default. Yeah. And like, I love the fact that they brought in the fact about the menagerie, about like Pike losing three, uh, three of his crew members there. And I thought tying that in was actually really cool. That had me giddy. It showed that basically, okay, we're going to take more context to that original show. And it gave it's cool, right? As a Star Trek fan that they're, I love that they are using the pilot. Yeah. You know, something that wasn't considered even part of Canon for years, except for the, the snippets that found its way into the menagerie. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of cool that they're going back and, and utilizing that. And it gives more credence to what we talked about in the last episode uh, for our audience that has been following us is like, we've been talking about how strange new worlds has this really strange opportunity 
to give more context to a lot of the past episodes from the original series. You can do like little things in between episodes. And we talked about how they're not looking to reboot the original series, but maybe they're thinking of giving more context to the voyage of the enterprise during that time. You know, give us those lost years, give us the year four and year five before, you know, the, uh, the actual series itself was canceled in season three. You can give us the year four and year five, or you could give us episodes that deal in between the episodes that are in season one and season two and season three. And with this particular episode, you kind of see the potential of that because they're essentially taking the cage elements of the cage and the menagerie and bringing it back and giving it more context, giving us more juice to the story of that, that whole, uh, that whole mission that Pike had, you know, like I never thought they would actually try to save the three unnamed, <laughs> unnamed, um, you know, people that they lost in the original menagerie, but here enough, no, they're going to, they, they bring those characters back and add more context to them. That's what Star Trek has done really well as a franchise, maintaining that intertextuality with the overlapping of, of different stories and using what came before. Um, and then the, my second part that I actually had that I was really giddy about was they once again did another episode that subtly tackled the prime directive element in all of Star Trek canon. You know, the fact that the crew in this episode is now driven to, because of they screwed up prime directive in the K in the cage by dealing with the Telosians, they have to go back and fix things. And I like that. I like what strange new worlds has done since season one, where they, challenge and bring forth elements in star Trek that we as star Trek fans consider like an important, important themes that make a star Trek series. Prime directive is one thing. And you know, like the whole idea in this episode about the importance of memories, it harkened back for me for like uh Kirk's story where he says, no, do not take away my pain. My pain is what makes me. And sure enough, this episode deals almost with that entire theme of how memories are, are what makes us our traumas are what makes us. It defines us. It yeah. defines us. Okay. So the synopsis of the episode returning to a planet that dredges up tragic memories, Captain Pike and his landing party find themselves forgetting everything, including their own identities as he confronts a ghost from his past the episode was directed by Eduardo Sanchez and written by Kristen Bayer and Davey Perez. So now, David, I had mentioned just a few moments ago the symptomatic meaning, which for the sake of simplicity is just the meaning that underlies the narrative, the meaning that is not overtly apparent at times, and it requires a bit of interpretation and, and you could say a deeper understanding of the text. At this point in the series, we understand Pike's fate, right? Yes. There's no escaping it. That is what a lot of season one set out to state. Yeah. And to live with such knowledge as our character and Captain Pike does, it would take a very strong and disciplined mind to resist falling into 
a type of existential despair or even nihilistic behavior, which if Pike were to be written as such, you run the risk of contradicting the very notions of optimism that must be present in a series. Well, there's a philosophical school of thought that many have probably heard of called Stoicism. And interestingly, Roddenberry drew inspiration from the Stoics when coming up with the idea for Vulcan culture and beliefs. And it's not just Stoicism. He also pulled various schools of philosophical thought in order to create the the cosmology of the Vulcan culture. I believe utilitarianism is also a part of the Vulcan culture, which is basically the idea of greater good. Yes. Consequentialism. So Star Trek has a long history incorporating some of these ideals into their narrative. One core principle of Stoicism is to live in the moment. And even though overtly the episode seems to refute such a thing, there are some lingering textual reasons why such an idea actually was incorporated into Pike's resolve by the end of the episode. One, and jump in here, Dave, at any point here. Okay. When he pushed Captain Patel away. Yeah. His lady friend. Something Una said he tends to do, but it seems that he might be more prone than usual to act in such a way because he knows his fate. He knows his fate. Yeah. Why start a relationship with someone when you know you don't have much of a future? And that's a very nihilistic point of view. Yes. This is one area the philosophy of the Stoics came into play in the episode. Accepting the present moment is a key aspect of Sto Stoicism. Stoics advocate for accepting and embracing the current circumstances of life. And I'm just pulling right from their text here. They recognize that some things are beyond our control, such as the past or the future. By focusing on the present moment, Stoics aim to cultivate inner tranquility and contentment regardless of external circumstances. We can see then how this would help Pike as a character move forward with his life. You can see why the writers would use such a thing. Despite knowing his future knowledge, he will move forward. Now, the second point of the Stoics' belief or Stoicism, impermanence and the fleeting nature of life. So Stoics recognize the impermanence of all things, including life itself. They believe that by fully engaging with and appreciating the present moment, they can better understand the transient nature of reality. This awareness encourages Stoics to cherish each moment and not take things for granted. Yes. And that's what he was doing in the uh, relationship with Patel. He was taking it for granted is yeah, there's a lot of issues going on and it's really difficult to have a relationship as two captains when you are being pulled apart and you only get like so much time together. But he's neglecting that fact. He's neglecting that you still have those moments. You get the idea that he was falling a bit into an existential funk. Into an existential funk. And it's understandable because like, just like what you said in the beginning, when you throw in the adage, you know your fate, then what is your motivation? What's your motivation in your brain? If you already know 
be or what's going to happen to you in throughout your life. If you already know what you what's going to happen to you, what's the point? What's the point in living? That's something that we talked about a lot during the opening quarter of the first season. Mm-hmm. Like, how do you continue the with the optimism of Star Trek? Of Star Trek, when your captain has such a a dire future, and we all know. We all know it's canon. There's no escaping. It's going to happen. So even us as the viewers, we begin to start feeling these notes of existentialism seep through the writing. It's something that's just going to be there when you're writing a character like this. Yeah. And they were able to push a little bit that a little bit of those feelings away by having Pike seemingly work against his fate, thinking that he could save himself and the others. So that helped bring optimism to the forefront a bit more Mm -hmm. and of course by the end of the season and the way the season finale ended in the statement that you just not only can you not change your future but you're also not that important yes how and think about that if you were to actually tell me (laughs) you're going to end with you're gonna die and you're not important and you're not important dude (laughs) Your hero would essentially just lose all faith. Yeah. But the important, the the amazing thing and what I've always loved about season one's ending was the, the turn of Pike's of basically saying, yes, I know my fate is coming, but these, the people that I care about, their fate is more important than me. My purpose now. And that's the whole point of Pike by the end was he found a new purpose. His new purpose is get his crew to their, to their proper fates. Look at the, the plot of this episode. He came face to face with someone he didn't save. Yes. So when you start looking at all these breadcrumbs, it's all going back. It's all connected covertly. I said this, David, I want to say When they first announced Strange New Worlds, if you remember, I had said, I really hope they rely on Pike's future. Yeah. For all of his stories, because you can do so much with it. And of course, that is exactly what they're doing. And honestly, David, I think in like 15 years, when we look back at this series, we might end up seeing some of the most powerful stories that any captain has had because of his future. We've never had a captain in any series where we know his future. Oh, easily, easily. I a hundred percent agree with you. Especially you can do so many cool things with that, especially with this episode. I mean, that moment, you know, we're going in spoiler territory, but like that moment when Pike is about to kill that crew member, I can't remember the crew member's name. I think it's Kaz or something or something. I don't know. But like dumbass <laughs> pretty much, but like, like Eugene or Zach or something, Zach, Zach, yeah. but like he was about to kill him and he stops himself. And it's almost this really cool moment where Pike again realizes, wait a minute. My purpose is the safety of my crew. No matter what. And the fact that he basically tells the crew member, no, I'm here to save you. We'll bring you home. We'll let you, we'll let the Federation decide your fate by, by law. 
but I'm bringing you home. That was the most powerful moment where you regalvanized Pike's motivation. His purpose. His purpose. That was what was important because like, if you think about it, he gets to the planet, loses all his memory and in doing so loses his purpose. And in one episode, he slowly starts chipping away and trying to find out what is his purpose? What, why is he doing this? What's driving him forward? Why does he want to actually get his memories? And that's the power of that moment when, you know, yes, he goes and saves, saves, you know, La'an and uh, Mbanga, but it, it's just not them. It's the entire crew of the Enterprise that is important to Pike because he realizes, again, their fates are much more bigger than mine. Yeah, and that's why this episode and how it was, you know, written, worked out, its intent, purpose, motivation, its, it's, it's sources of inspiration all really work in tandem with what we know will be Pike's destiny. I'm, I'm going to say this right now, dude. After this episode, do you think... After we get a couple of seasons of strange new worlds, I'm hoping like we get a good couple, like maybe five, seven, but like at the end of the day, I really think Anson Mount as captain Pike could arguably be considered at least top three captains in star Trek. Well, okay. Story wise. Is that what you're talking about? Story-wise and character-wise. Because if you think about it, he's the epitome I, at this point of what a captain is. I don't know, David. I really don't know about that because we have some great character development well, we over the great. years. But I do agree with you if you're talking about a character that generates so many great stories because of who he is and how he's being written. And what and he because represents. because of that fate, because we know that he will be disfigured and will be forced to return to Talos Ford to live out his life. Because we know that, and the writers obviously are using that, we are getting really great. He might be the best captain that generates a lot of philosophical stories. I think that's definitely a possibility. I don't know if he's going to be the best captain ever because Captain Kirk and Picard, I mean, there's a lot of things they got to do in there's order a to lot. beat them. There's a lot. There's a lot. They have a lot of history. So with Pike, I don't know if we'll get to that point, but I, I will say that it's very likely he might be the most interesting character to write for. If that makes sense. Yeah. So one last point when it comes to stoicism, because this is going to bleed into an opposing philosophical thought in just a second. And it will also make sense when you contrast it with what they did with the character who wanted to lose his memory, did not <laughs> want to remember. And then Pike and his team who wanted to remember, but last bit here, when it comes to stoicism, maximizing happiness and tranquility, so Stoics contend that living in the present moment is essential for attaining true happiness and tranquility by focusing on what is within their control. What is Pike doing? He's doing what he can control, saving people, his purpose, as you mentioned, and making the best use of the present, which is what Pike is doing. 
They avoid unnecessary worries about the past or the future. Their mindset allows them to find peace of mind and lead a fulfilling life. And that's the lesson at the end of the episode. Live in the moment. Worry about what you can control. That was also the lesson throughout last season. Yeah. So to live in the moment isn't as simplistic and apathetic as, say, the Greek story of the Lotus Eaters, but instead there is value in living in the moment while not forgetting who you are and essentially pressing forward despite the pain we carry from our past, our past or our knowledge of future events. And David, just to carry this idea further, and this is what we talked about before we started recording today about the opposing philosophical standpoints. Yeah. So during the time of the Stoics, there were several philosophical schools that offered alternative perspectives and philosophical systems. The two main opposing philosophical groups were to the Stoics were the Epicureans and the skeptics. Yes. We're going to ignore the skeptics for the time being. Just ignore them. The Epicureans is what's important for this episode. The Epicurean school. And when I say they weren't just alternative perspectives, they were rivals. They actually wrote philosophy about each other. If you go back and read some of their texts, it almost feels like battle raps where they would actually criticize each other in their own philosophical text. They were rivals. It wasn't just an alternate perspective. They didn't like each other. So Epicureans The Epicurean school was founded by Epicurus. Epicureanism focused on achieving happiness and tranquility through the pursuit of pleasure. This is the key point right here, particularly the absence of pain. Yes. However, this pleasure was not understood in a hedonistic sense, but rather as the absence of disturbances. Yeah, the trust. I think the right phrase that. The character of Luke that we're we're talking about is that was that his name? Luke? Yeah, Luke. Okay. Yeah, it it was when he said that basically for them to trust their emotions over fleeting memories. That is that is Epicureans. Yeah. That's an Epicurean way of thinking because you try to remove pain. You remove the disturbances, pain. both physical and mental. Yes, and the disturbances technically. Technically, using the term pain, it, th- that's why I liked it in here where they basically said it was emotions. It didn't say it was either painful nor pleasurable. It's just plain emotions. They also wanted to dispel unfounded fears. Now, fear was built into the story. Yes. But by having Luke reject his past... He rid himself of fears. Of fears. And it's... If he were to struggle and want to remember, then the fears would surface. So what you have is Epicureanism on one side, and then you have the solution, which is Pike's solution, which is Stoicism. Stoicism. Which, which works beautifully with Gene Roddenberry's original ideas for a large part of his cosmological... Um, foundations for Star Trek, particularly when it comes to Vulcans. So now we can see more clearly how these two opposing philosophical ideas were pit against each other. There was a refutation of Epicurean thought by privileging the views of the Stoics, which is more compatible with Star Trek for obvious reasons, as I just went through. And dude, it was, it was probably 
the thing the thing was that I was really impressed with. They took this idea and made it really powerful and relatable for anybody out there. It made it simple to understand. Yeah. Because Luke Luke was not seen as an enemy. Luke, you know, the way he thought seems kind of right. And that's the whole point about philosophy is to actually it's neither right nor wrong, it's just a way of thinking. And like Luke's way of thinking was I want to live, and if I'm going to live, I have to forget my past. Because if I start remembering and focusing on my past, I don't focus on the future, and I'll, I'll end up dying in this, in this inhospitable... You'll live in fear, you'll, you'll live, live in, fear, in pain. Pain and yeah. everything. And in doing so, and forgetting his pain, he's able to live. Meanwhile... A stoic looks at that and basically says, oh my God, no, that's not living because you're just, to a stoic, you're just suppressing that emotion. Yeah, it's interesting because both philosophical thoughts believe in living in the moment, but how you live in the moment is where they differ. And that, it's amazing that basically when you take a look at the debate between the Epicureans and the Stoics, they're pretty much on the same level. It's just that one little detail that causes a, the great debate. Yeah, it's really cool. When, when I was about halfway through the episode, I started to see what they were doing. I'm like, okay, the way you book into the episode with Captain Patel, you know, him pushing her away, you, for the observant viewer, you understood pretty much what was happening. And it was that last bit, those closing few moments of the episode that really brought it all together when they were on the bridge, which I did love that ending, Dave, because (laughs) Because it's so Star Trek. It is. It is. I know I talk against using things from the past. Like, Oh, quit relying on the past. This isn't that that's a part of the DNA. That's different. Doing something like that, ending the episode where everyone's having a little bit of a discussion, a, a wrap up, if you will, at the end of the episode, that happened so many times in the original series and not nearly as much in, the, in TNG, but it did happen a lot as well. Yes. So it was a good episode for the most part. It wasn't the strongest episode of the season, but at least we got some Erica. I had mentioned, I don't know if I mentioned it on a pre-show or on our actual discussions that I was hoping Erica this season would get <laughs> a bit of a spotlight. Yes, you did. Because yes, she did. really didn't get a whole lot. She was present during the first season, but she didn't get her own story. So here we are where they shared the episode between Mbenga, Laanne, Pike, and Erica. And I feel like they were able to do quite a bit with the amount of time that was given to the episode. It was nice to see Erica at least. Um, I mean, I don't know if we learned much about her per se, but we learned that she's the pilot of the enterprise. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So we didn't learn much and, and that's a bit of a negative. It well, would have been nice if they fleshed something more personal. In all, in, in, all honesty, in all honesty, while it's not much, the implications though is still actually pretty impactful because when you think about it, the whole idea that basically 
her entire being was taken away from her. And she had this existential crisis because she started this off as she wanted to go on the away team. That's the one thing she wanted to do. She wanted to be on the away team. And it starts with her being told by Pike that she, she's needed here because she fulfills what an important purpose to this ship. He's the pilot. He's the one that basically makes, makes the ship go as Spock would say. (laughs) So like, Seeing the fact that she embraces her purpose and that is her purpose on the ship was actually a really nice tie to the whole, the whole adage of embracing who you are and embracing your memories and embracing your self-worth and your purpose, like how Pike does. It's on a smaller scale. So it's on a very smaller scale, but because of the way I feel that it's, it's written, I think this is the best you could get with Ortegas as a, as a side story. Yeah, it wasn't, I, I, maybe I should have said a negative. It was nice that we got something with yeah. her, at, you know, in the forefront. And just like this interview that had been uh, published prior to the episode uh, from cinema blend, the showrunners, Henry Alonzo Myers and Akiva Goldsman had said that we are trying at the end of the season to give everyone at least a few moments uh, with Ortegas, one of the unique things about the character is she is right at the center. So she ends up being in a lot of the show, which is great and makes it fun to write for her. That is true. That is the benefit. And maybe that's the justification. They say, listen, we have 10 episodes. We have about seven main characters and we need to pick and choose here. Erica's character, she she has the benefit of literally flying the ship and she is essentially in every single episode. Yeah. So that's the gift. That's the compromise. You know, maybe we don't focus and give her complete, you know, character defining episodes that really flesh out her characterization. But we don't sprinkle things in. Right. We at least learn a little bit about her personality in each episode. So looking at it from that perspective, it does work. I'm not pointing a finger at the writers by any means. I mean, the writers on this show are doing great work. Oh, yeah. Because like, that's why I was like saying, I don't think. When you mentioned that maybe it was a negative, I, that's why I stopped you because I'm going, I wouldn't consider it a negative because the story still fulfilled a purpose. Yeah. It wasn't badly written. Yeah. At all. It wasn't badly it, written. I don't think it was a mistake. And it didn't hurt the character. It kind of, it sprinkled the fact that basically, okay, we're seeing more to her personality. Yeah. And then in Banga. I think it's funny. We wouldn't get much on him either, but just enough. I do like that they're really piecemealing out his characterization this season. And it seems to really center around PTSD and his own struggle and pain. And I know that was definitely mentioned last season, but it wasn't at the forefront. His emotional motivation was connected to his daughter. Yes. Now that she is not um, an issue this season or thing, they have shifted and focused more on the PTSD, the PTSD aspect, and it has worked quite well for the show. I mean, the idea that even he himself may be tempted to not want his memory and his pain, but there was an interesting thought um, associated to that. I, I cannot remember what character said it, but 
there is this idea that even if you don't remember the pain, you are still affected by it. It's still there. It's still present. You can feel it. And that's, that's depressing, but that's a powerful thought because it talks about, I mean, it, it, uh, it delves into psychological scars. Well, it goes into, it goes things that are repressed that still affect our person. Mm -hmm. It goes into the story between, because I remember the dialogue between him and Luke and Mbanga basically saying, yeah, I have this pain, but also I need this knowledge that I got around that pain of being a doctor to do this. And he basically, that moment when he looks at Laanne and says, this is my friend. I need to help her. It's something in me that's telling me I need to do whatever it takes to help her. And if that means I have to remember my pain to get this knowledge of being a doctor again, then so be it. That says a lot about his, about his character. And it's kind of like, it's kind of like the Ortegas thing where it's not much, but it's impactful. That's what I really am. That's why I really took away from that. Yeah. The episode was predominantly about Pike, which was nice. Yeah. We needed that, but they didn't just solely focus on him. And that's the cool thing about this show. It feels a little bit like deep space nine writing. Cause deep space nine did that. It so it kind of well. does. Yeah. Deep space nine would have that one singular character in an episode where for the most part, everything's about that character, but then you have, that revolving door of fantastic guests that also found their way into those episodes. And in the course of the events, you learn just enough about the other characters. I do appreciate that style of writing for sure. You know, kill two birds with one stone, right? Oh, absolutely. How much can you get done in your allotted time? That should be everyone's goal. When it comes to television, how much story can I tell? And if you are struggling to, um, to fill that time, that means you don't have a story. Exactly. And you know what's amazing? After every, all the episodes we've covered thus far in the season, never once did I feel that They're episodes stalling. are stalling or dragging. Dude, there in are fact, so many shows nowadays. This whole thing like slow burns, slow the idea burns. of slow burn. I'm all about slow burn, but now when shows just suck and they drag, oh, it's a slow burn a show. Slow burn you got to appreciate the slow burn. I'm like, yeah. dude, a slow burn means something is still happening. Nothing is, is happening. happening. <laughs> and that's the thing is like, I love the fact that even in this episode with, I think when I looked at the time count on it, it was like 55 minutes. Yeah. I believe so. I did yeah. not feel like it was 55 minutes. In fact, it felt like it was like 30 or 40, but I still felt like I had a contained story. <laughs> and I think out of all the TV shows that me and you have covered, this is the one series that I'm like going, I don't feel, I don't feel like I'm dragging. The pacing's not off. I feel I'm getting enough story elements and it's very reminiscent of classic television to me. And maybe that's, that shows my age because like, I know a lot of people might see, might see classic television as it's too quick, you know, because like classic television was built around like 30 minutes. Yeah. But you know, there's a reason why classic television lasted 
as long as it did. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. There is a the formula. And I know people are against formulas at times. I know there's some writers like formula. You should try to break it. You don't, you don't want to reinvent the wheel. You can get creative. You can experiment, but when it comes down to it, there are proper ways to write a TV show that has been proven to maintain the attention of the audience. And that's why those commercial breaks back in the day were so important. When you'd write those cues for break, you had to make sure before you went to break that there was something there that would keep people tuned in. Yes. And that's why television back then was way more engrossing in a lot of ways because they didn't have those lulls where you kind of look at your phone and you scroll through social media because nothing's really happening at that moment in the show. Mm -hmm. TV shows had to keep your interest. Otherwise you would change the channel. That's how it worked. And that's a lost art. And when you have a show like strange new worlds being done by Akiva Goldsman and Henry, um, Henry Alonzo, forgive me. I forget his name. Oh, Henry Alonzo Myers. They're utilizing the old style of writing, and that's why it feels so concise. Concise and Because they're adhering to those beats, mm -hmm. even though there are no commercials. I mean, and for people out there that are wondering, what are we talking about? I think the perfect example is look at a Marvel show. A Marvel show, say, like the one that I'm currently watching is Secret Invasion. It's a slow burn. But it feels slow for 50, for 50 minutes. It feels it. You feel like you're taking a leisurely pace down the story. Yeah. Here, it's like, okay, we got 50 minutes. Here's a complete sto story in an episode. And that's classic television. You don't see that anymore. I mean, like a proper slow burn show. And we're getting off topic here just a bit. But I, I do feel like it's relevant to the writing of this show. A proper slow burn show is Breaking Bad. <laughs> you know what? What's hilarious? I was thinking the same I thing. I saw your mouth forming on the camera that. Yeah. I'm like going, Breaking Bad. It has to be Breaking Bad. That is a properly executed slow burn television show. Yeah. And everyone's tried to copy it. That's the thing. Because they think in this the day Walking and age, Dead slow burn themselves right out of an audience. Oh my god! There's an example of a of of a show that basically every single episode it's a drag to get through, and you're looking at your phone. Yeah, here great I'm not, great character development, but man, they needed help with getting that plot going. Man, exactly. Here we get a plot in like 50 minutes flat. Yeah. All right, David. Well, believe it or not, this does bring us to the end of our discussion. It was a rather quick discussion because the episode, though good, was light. Was was a fairly simple and straightforward episode for the mm -hmm. most part. I do want to share with you, David, that I have been pushing out snippets of our show to various social media platforms. And um, the first one I put out it was, didn't... Uh, it <laughs> didn't quite hit it, it, well people got mad at us about a couple of things but the one I put out last week about our theory on what they possibly might be working towards you know the re the re not the redoing not the redoing the recontextualizing yes. of the original series I was ready 
for people to shoot us. And yet there was a lot of people backing it up. It's like that is really? a, that's a good idea. And then they even offered, if I had it in front of me, I'd start reading through them. They started offering additional ideas on top. So they started flat. We basically had a writing session. You mean to tell me that basically we had rational fans? Yes. <laughs> and some of these ideas were brilliant. I was like, yes, that would work. I really like it. So at least we're connecting with some people out there. Yeah. And because sometimes, you know, especially during our discovery <laughs> discussions, when we're saying that's a 95% episode, they're like, what the fuck? That's a 43. <laughs> <laughs> we we don't want this woke Star Trek. There was one guy on our Instagram feed that said he, he didn't like Strange New Worlds, but he was polite. And I'm like, okay, well, and I thanked him and I and I had a, a little bit of a discussion with him because he was I don't need people to agree with me, David. Yeah. I just want to have a respectful back and forth. I love I live for that. Yeah, but Mike, that that's 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 like gold. In today's world. <laughs> well, that's why I was so happy. I'm like, look, this guy disagrees with me and he's being super fucking cool. <laughs> this is fucking weird. What's happening? Yeah. I'm going to give this episode an 89%. I'm, I'm actually with you there. I actually wrote down uh, 89 on my uh, scorecard for this one because like, is it one of the better, is it one of the best Star Trek episodes we've gotten? It's a little middling. I think underneath. It's underneath. Underneath, it's there's a lot of there's merit a there. lot of merit there. I will say that basically, for me personally, this episode hit more because it dealt with the importance of memories yeah. and everything, and that that just me personally hits very you can straight relate. to home, very relatable. Yeah. So, but I didn't want to make skew my score that way because. Not how we do things here. See, David, I could relate to it too, but I'm from the other side. I'm like, I live in the past and I want to wallow in the past. I want to wallow in the past. Because I'm a nihilistic motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> My mom brought this up to me. She's like, Michael, because I'm more existential. I just use nihilism because it sounds cool. You're a con. But like, I'm very existential and my mom knows this. And she saw, why is it you like Star Trek? I'm like, because I wish I was optimistic. <laughs> I wish I was optimistic. I can live vicariously through the writing of Star Trek. Because once I turn it off, I go back to my existentialism. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right, David. Uh, 89, 89, 89 straight. Easy enough. All right. Everyone out there, please head over to our Patreon page, patreon.com slash Rayman digital and pledge. Thank you, David. Thank you. Live long and prosper. I couldn't help but notice your pain. My pain. It runs deep. Share it with me. End simulation.